I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, before we start, we should all introduce ourselves. I'm Nate. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm Anna. Great. Now, I want you to both picture this. It's a Wednesday afternoon in Albany, New York. Hold on. Nate, one more time. It's Albany. Ah, Albany. Albany, Albany. It's a Wednesday afternoon in Albany, New York. bunch of lawyers are gathered in the state's court of appeals. I do so love a good gathering of lawyers story. Attorney Monica Miller makes her way to the podium, and she looks a little nervous standing in front of this big row of judges. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, your honors. Uh, but then she just launches into her spiel. She represents a 64-year-old who she says has been illegally detained in a prison in the Bronx for years. Miller's client only has a first name. Happy. If she hadn't been kidnapped from Thailand as a baby, Happy could be a matriarch herself. But instead of leading her sisters and cousins and grandchildren hundreds of miles through ancient migratory routes. So Miller wants the court to grant Happy freedom, but there's a hitch because, as you might be able to guess by now, Happy isn't a person. I had a feeling that was coming. Right? She's an elephant living in the Bronx Zoo. We now are about to see our Asian elephant, Happy. Now take a very close look at Happy. But Miller and a team of lawyers are arguing that Happy isn't just an animal in a zoo, that she's actually a legal person with rights to freedom and liberty, one that's being held in a prison. And this is just the latest case in an ongoing fight to extend basic human rights to animals. 
And because this is a case that deals with animals and the law, two podcasts from New Hampshire Public Radio are teaming up for this special crossover episode. I'm Nate Hedgie with Outside In. We cover nature and the environment. I'm Hannah McCarthy. I'm Nick Capodice. We are the hosts of Civics 101, and basically we explain how the government works. And we always hear about the animal rights movement, but Nate, what rights do animals actually have? We're going to dive into that question and how this case about an elephant in New York could have massive consequences for zoos, farms, even your own cats and dogs. Hannah, Nick, before we dig in, I need you to meet a friend of mine. Her name is Gilly, and she's a three-legged dog. Hi, Gilly. Hi, Gilly. Hey, Gilly. Just giving her a good ear rub. Do you ever call her a tripod? Because she's tripod. (laughs) We've definitely called her a tripod. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) So, to your knowledge, right now, does this sweet little dog, Gilly, have any legal rights? Well, so I know that animals... Are, are pretty much considered property, but we do have a bunch of federal protections for animals. I know you can't beat her or, you know, withhold food and water. You can't make Gilly dog fight, right? That's a felony in all 50 states. So I just want to be clear here, Hannah, I would, ne- <laughs> I would never beat Gilly <laughs> or make her get into a dog fight. Or withhold food and water from yeah, her. Yeah, but you can't abuse her, right? I can't abuse her, yeah. And so these rights that you're talking about, uh, they're called anti-cruelty laws. And these are one of the biggest protections that animals like Gilly have right now in the Western world. They essentially say that you can't hurt or abuse certain animals. And they really got popular in the 19th century. Abolitionists were questioning slavery, the treatment of indigenous people, child labor, and animal welfare. And we saw a lot of these anti-cruelty laws pop up across the country. In 1866, the New York State Legislature established the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, also known as Nick. Yeah, I'm going to go with the ASPCA. Yes, the ASPCA. And they actually had people with badges and uniforms walking the streets of New York City, breaking up cockfights, stopping folks from being mean to their horses. That's fantastic. It was a big cultural shift for this country, treating animals not as brutes or beasts, but as things deserving of some gentleness and kindness. You know, Nowadays, though, one of the big critiques of anti-cruelty laws is that they don't go far enough. They're also biased in the sense that the prevailing human culture gets to decide which animals receive kindness and which animals we're cool with hurting and killing. Like, I'll give the example of cats. In the 19th century, cats were on the crap list. Cats? Why were cats on the crap list? Because they killed, and still do kill, beautiful songbirds. And some of the same folks saying that we should protect animals were also arguing that we should kill all the cats. That is so bizarre. But of course, you know, they are witches familiars, so. Yeah, and they like, didn't they like suck the breath out of children? Yes, cats would suck the air out of you in your sleep. Well, there you go. That's another reason. Not only do they kill beautiful songbirds, but they also suck the breath out of children. I mean, that's, that's (laughs) really terrible. For the record, I love cats. (laughs) That makes one of us. And obviously, nowadays, cats are in that protected class of cute, cuddly animals, along with dogs or or horses. You can't abuse them. But at the same time, many of us are still comfortable hurting other animals like cows or chickens at a factory farm. 
And that's where I want to bring in Manisha Decker, who's a law professor at the University of Victoria in British Columbia. And she's actually pretty critical of these anti-cruelty laws for that very reason. Really what you have is a legal situation where um, cruelty is is only you know, ever thought by legal actors to maybe apply to kind of culturally aberrant practices. So like um, you know, putting your cat in the microwave. Did she just say putting your cat in the microwave? Yes, she did. Because she's making the point that obviously putting a cat in a microwave would be considered animal cruelty. But cutting off a chicken's beak and putting it into a small cage with tons of other chickens, not animal cruelty. Even though the level of pain and suffering to that animal can be the same as what happens to a cat in a microwave. Do chickens cows and other livestock, do they have any legal protections or rights at the federal level like the cuddly animals do? Eh, not really. I mean, I, I don't know if you would call this a legal protection, but there is a law that requires livestock to be afforded a quick and efficient death, but it also doesn't include turkeys or chickens. And all livestock animals are exempted from the country's big anti-cruelty law, the Federal Animal Welfare Act, along with mice and rats. Now, what about wild animals. Have we protected them in any way? Another meh for that one. It's a mixed bag. We have the Endangered Species Act, which gives some habitat and hunting protections to imperiled species like grizzly bears. And wild horses on federal lands have special legal protections. We we can't hunt them. But at the same time, you can still go out and buy one of those sticky traps for a field mouse or buy a twenty-two and pick off squirrels that are trying to steal from your bird feeder. Right, right. And you can, like, set traps for foxes and coyotes that are arguably cruel and hurt them, but it's not illegal. Exactly. Manisha argues that these animal welfare and conservation laws aren't really rights, at least as you and I have them. Which means a right not to be killed by somebody else for their purpose, or the right not to have your body used for someone else's profit. And that's how animals are used. And that brings us to the latest battlefront a slow grind towards granting animals something called personhood. Manisha says that Western common law pretty much divides the world into two categories. You're either a person or you're a thing. So as, either as a rights holder, so then you get to you know typically be seen as a person, or you're the object of rights. And the big lift for animal rights activists is convincing judges that an animal isn't a thing that we humans get to lord over. Instead, it's a person, at least in the legal sense. This is an argument we've talked about a lot on our show. Uh, it's been used in the past to give basic human rights to women, uh, black Americans, indigenous people. But in this case, I feel like it could get pretty fraught pretty quickly when activists start comparing the oppression of animals to the oppression of humans. Right. And that was one reason why the first case trying to establish personhood for animals in the United States failed. And that story is coming up right after the break. And, hey, since we're taking a little break here, now is the perfect time to sign up for our free Civics 101 newsletter. It's called Extra Credit. We pour our heart and soul and a fair number of political dinner party factoids into this thing. So you can sign up at our website, civics101podcast.org, or just follow the link in the show notes. Hey, everybody, it's Rob Lowe here. 
If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, you're listening to a special crossover episode between Outside In and Civics 101. I'm Outside In host Nate Hedgie. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And I'm Nick Capodice. We're from Civics 101. All right. So we're going to talk about Tommy. 26-year-old Tommy may not sound like the greatest catch. He's a retired circus performer living alone behind a trailer park watching TV all day and night. Oh, that reporter just loved that joke, <laughs> did he? Oh, he's going to get everybody in America. So that, that was ABC News. And as you can probably guess, again, Tommy isn't a human. He's a chimpanzee. And he was actually in this movie in the late 80s called Project X with Matthew Broderick. These are monkeys. I don't know anything about monkeys. But by the 2000s, Tommy was living with a family in New York State in essentially a jail cell with palm trees painted on the walls. Just Tommy and a color TV playing cartoons. That's horrible. That's just, yeah. After a long and illustrious (laughs) film career, you know. So in 2013, this animal rights law firm called the Non-Human Rights Project heard about Tommy's situation. And one of their main goals is to establish personhood for animals. And if you're a lawyer trying to push a new legal precedent like this. You've got to look for the perfect case to carry it. And Tommy's case looked pretty dang good. How so? What differentiates Tommy's case from any other animal rights case? Well, there are three big reasons. First, he's a chimp. Highly intelligent, an ape, so it's in the same taxonomic family as humans. Chimps remind people of people, and the thought is that they could engender more sympathy with both the courts and with the public. And speaking of the public, the second reason why this was a good case is that Tommy lived in New York State, which is a major media market. That means Tommy's case could get a lot of attention. And that's important if you're trying to change hearts and minds about how we treat animals, right? And the third reason was that Tommy was in captivity, which means the lawyers could petition the state for something called a writ of habeas corpus. All right, Civics 101 friends, what is that? Hannah, you want to take this one? I think I can. First, Nate, uh, I wonder if you can do this. Can you like get some sort of like a medieval soundtrack going on in the background? Ooh. Like some swords clanging and people being like, Ho there! Can I just do it with my own voice? Clink, clink, clink. 
Hannah, what time are we talking about when it comes to the first writ of habeas corpus? Do you really want me to do this? I do. The High Middle Ages. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nate. This is a long-running joke basically just between the two of us. <laughs> Hannah did an episode on Magna Carta for our founding document series, and we've ne- and her- she opened with the line, <laughs> The High Middle Ages. <laughs> and we haven't stopped laughing about it for three years. Okay. So, uh, the idea of habeas corpus is in Magna Carta. That's from the High Middle Ages. And it became a part of English common law after that point. The expression later found its way into Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution. And I'm going to give you the quote here. Quote, The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. So what does that mean? What habeas corpus does is it protects people from unlawful or indefinite imprisonment without a hearing. Habeas corpus is also a great way to establish personhood because only quote unquote legal persons are eligible. If Tommy is granted habeas corpus, he could become a legal person, which means he'd have the human right of bodily liberty. He could go free. It also means that he could be eligible for other rights and not just considered an object or property. Tommy's case is the first of its kind in the United States. The lawyers, they're feeling pretty good about their chances. We uh, felt pretty strongly that, you know, just the wealth of science about the cognition and behavior of, of chimpanzees would really open doors. So that's attorney Kevin Schneider. He's the executive director of the Non-Human Rights Project. And side note... When we were talking, his three-legged rescue dog kept walking through the dining room, making a bunch of noise. I might just have to stop for a second because my dog is loudly drinking water behind me. (laughs) But anyways, in building the court case for Tommy the Chimp, the Non-Human Rights Project pointed back to cases from two or even 300 years ago. Where women, children, certainly African-Americans, slaves, indigenous peoples, uh, were treated in horrendous ways and... When they tried to make claims to courts, they were routinely told, you don't have rights, you are not a person, you are something less than a full person in the eyes of the law. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Comparing the plight of enslaved black Americans, for example, to that of apes has a really racist legacy in the West. Yeah, basically 19th and 20th century eugenicists fabricated grotesque racist hierarchies with uh, black people being labeled closer to apes than white people. And in the 1900s, there were like literally humans in zoos. Uh, The Bronx Zoo, which is part of our story today, the Bronx Zoo had a Congolese teenager on display in the monkey exhibit in 1906. That is absolutely terrible. And this is where the Non-Human Rights Project got a lot of flack by both judges and the media. I mean, take a listen to this back and forth between a black reporter and the group's white founder, Stephen Wise. It's from this 2016 HBO documentary called Unlocking the Cage. And then, of course, those equating chimpanzees and apes and stuff like that, uh, obviously, hideously so with black people. You say, well, wait a minute, you know, you know, chimps are chimps. They are not humans. Obviously, we're not saying we're not uh, saying that a chimpanzee is a human and we're Mm -hmm. not equating uh, chimpanzees with, with slaves. Still, the Non-Human Rights Project couldn't shake those connotations. Stephen Wise even got called out by a judge during one of Tommy's hearings. Then they went to I have to tell you, I, I keep having a, a difficult time with your using 
slavery as an analogy to this situation. I just have to tell you that. Let, let me um, suggest this, that by referring to human slavery, we are in no way comparing Tommy to any I understand, slaves. but my suggestion is you move in a different direction for the next two minutes. Okay. In the courts, they ended up rejecting Wise's petition for a few different reasons. One of them was this. A chimp isn't a person because they can't bear legal duties. They don't have societal responsibilities, and they can't be held legally accountable for their actions. Although an appeals court judge later issued a separate opinion that really challenged that idea. He pointed out quite correctly that um, many human beings do not have the ability to take on legal duties. Someone, a child, if an older person has dementia or Alzheimer's or someone's in a coma, they don't have the ability to take on legal duties, but we certainly don't take away their rights. That to me seems like a far better argument to make before a judge, right? As yeah. opposed to bringing up enslaved people. Absolutely. Regardless, Tommy's case had hit a dead end. But that same year, the Non-Human Rights Project began pursuing a different case, one that moved away from the racial implications of comparing apes and humans. Is this happy? Yes. Happy the elephant. Uh, an animal rights group is suing the zoo, claiming the 48-year-old Happy is... Happy the elephant. Happy the elephant had a bunch of fans. Is Happy the elephant truly happy, or is her life better lived on an elephant sanctuary? So as we just heard, Happy is a middle-aged elephant living by herself in the Bronx Zoo, which is tough because elephants are these really social, complex creatures. And Happy in particular is one smart cookie. I mean, she was the first elephant in the world to pass this thing called the mirror recognition test. What is the mirror recognition test? So I'll let Kevin explain. They marked her head with an X and then put her in front of a mirror. And, you know, if they, they, the subject stands in the mirror and you know, touches the mark on the head while they're looking at themselves in the mirror, but they're touching, obviously, themselves. Um, that actually means quite a lot. It means that they're able to appreciate that this image that they're looking at is actually themselves. And, you know, that takes quite a bit of mental machinery, a surprising amount. So she recognized herself in the mirror. Right. Which humans, we don't have that level of self-awareness until we're about two years old. And so They've got this really smart, socially complex elephant. And the Non-Human Rights Project files a writ of habeas corpus saying that Happy is actually imprisoned in the Bronx Zoo. And they want her declared as a person and released to a special wildlife sanctuary in Tennessee. In this case, it's been slowly leveling up through the New York state courts over the past four years, which brings us to May 18th. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. It's a warm spring day in Albany, and oral arguments are just beginning at the New York State Court of Appeals. Judges of the court. And by the way, I've never watched a Court of Appeals hearing before, and dang, those judges go hard. Happy's lawyer, her name is Monica Miller, and she's just getting into her argument when one of the judges straight up interrupts her. Migratory routes. So, counsel, counsel, I'm on the screen. Yes, Good sorry. afternoon. So, uh, how, let's say... So, all these judges are just lobbing questions, but they seem stuck on two points. The first one is that, bottom line, Happy isn't a human being. When Happy's lawyer starts pointing back into history at cases where marginalized humans weren't considered legal persons, she's stopped dead in her tracks. But even in those examples, they're all human beings. The court is recognizing the humanity in each of those cases. How can the court apply habeas when we're not talking about a human? How, how do we make that move 
from one point of the spectrum to this other point that you're arguing for. Happy's lawyer pushes back and says species membership isn't the right marker for deciding whether something is deserving of a basic human right. Instead, it's intelligence and autonomy. And we're not talking making basic choices like make a noise or don't make a noise or this food or that food. We're talking extensive communication. Dr. Joyce. Now, the other sticking point for the judges appeared to be what kind of Pandora's box does this open if Happy wins and gets declared a person with this basic human right? Right. And this is what I've heard about regarding this case, the slippery slope argument. Like, well, what's next? You know, are we are, are none of us ever going to eat meat again? Right. Or like, what about dogs? So does that mean that uh, I couldn't keep a dog? I mean, dogs can memorize words. And what about like pigs at a factory farm? Right. Pigs are highly intelligent and emotionally complex animals. So do they get a right to freedom if Happy wins? Well, that's what industry groups representing zoos, farms, and veterinarian associations all worry about. Lawyers for all these groups have written amicus briefs urging the Court of Appeals to reject Happy's case. The farm lawyers, they're worried about economic and social upheaval. The vet lawyers are worried that if animals gain personhood, then it could destroy the whole idea of ownership and that people might not be able to make medical decisions for their cats and dogs. But Nate, if Happy wins this case, that doesn't mean that all the animals are going to be immediately freed from zoos and farms. It's That's just not how common law works. Right. Like, like if Happy actually wins, which, by the way, even her lawyers think is a total long shot. But if she does win, technically only Happy will receive personhood and this basic right to liberty. So here's Kevin Schneider again. It won't immediately free any other animals, not even other elephants. You know, there are other zoo elephants in New York. That being said, I think it would make, uh, certainly make it a lot easier um, to make an argument on behalf of other elephants. So they're not buying the whole slippery slope argument, but at the same time, the whole point of a case like this is to create some sort of pathway because right now, all non-human animals are objects in the eyes of the law. That's that. I also think for great apes in the state, um, it would also open doors for them. Um, in large part because, you know, these are the species we have been talking about from day one. Elephants, great apes, uh, dolphins, whales. They have a sense of themselves, their past, their present, their future. They can make decisions for their own lives, meaningful decisions, and reflect on those decisions. And uh, they're typically very social animals. About the so, Nate, when did oral arguments happen in this case? May 18th. 2022, so this year. Okay, so when will the judges make their decision? I mean, it could be a month or more, but when it does come, we'll be sure to give an update to all you listeners out there. Well, I gotta say, thank you so much, Nate. This was a ton of fun. Yeah, can we do this again sometime? Oh my God, I would love to. The real question, though, is what we should cover next, you know, on a crossover. Something like the Migratory Bird Treaty Act? Oh, what about something like the creation of the EPA? I'd love to dig into the history of the National Weather Service. Yeah. Oof. Well, let's enshrine our democracy and put it to a vote. Listeners, if you've got a suggestion for the next Civics 101 Outside In crossover, you can email us, tweet us, send us a letter by pigeon, whatever makes sense for you. Hey, what, what's your handle? How can people find you? Oh, yeah, we are at Civics 101 Pod. And we're at Outside In Radio. This episode was produced and reported by me, Nate Hedgie, with Hannah McCarthy and Nick Capodice. It was edited by Taylor Quimby, Rebecca Lavoy, with help from me, Nate, and Hannah. It was mixed by Nate Hedgie, city pronunciation fact-checking by Nick Capodice. It is Albany, Nate. Albany. 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 Our executive producer is Rebecca Lavoy. Music from this episode came from El Flaco Collective, The Fly Guy 5, Jules Gaia, and Peerless. Our theme is by Breakmaster Cylinder. 
Outside In and Civics 101 are both productions of New Hampshire Public Radio. That's so unpleasant. You didn't like my elephant? No, I'm, it was great. It was great. Sorry, Nate. Hey, everybody, it's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday, so subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.